Lowering admissions rates? Yeah, that's a thing. everyone. Welcome to No Offense, one of the Daily Bruins' official opinion podcasts. My name is Keisha Thadimati. I'm the Daily Bruins' opinion editor. Not for so long, though I'm almost out of this job, for better or for worse, for the campus. Um, but we have a lovely group of columnists and editors with us today on the final No Offense podcast of the year, and probably of my lifetime, unless I return back to the Daily Bruin, which would be bad. No. Or maybe not, who knows. Um, let's have everybody introduce themselves. I'm Ani Gasparian, the outgoing assistant opinion editor. Uh, my name's Emming. I'm the columnist of Opinion. Yes, so we have a late night podcast on week 10. Yes, I did promise we'd have one last one before I moseyed my way out of here. But the news never disappoints. And speaking of disappointments, enrollment rates are down the drain, which kind of means that admission rates are kind of down the drain too. The Daily Burn reported last week that UCLA presented a proposal in March to the University of California Office of the President to slow down enrollment at the university um, and increase the undergraduate population by only 1% over the next four years. Um, just for reference, in the past about four or five years, the UCLA's undergraduate population has grown by 20%. Just, just some numbers, the 2018 incoming undergraduate class was 9,674, which is the second largest in the school's history. Fall 2016, incoming class was 9,905. And last I checked, the fall 2014 enrollment was somewhere near 5,700-something. So we're talking a lot of heads and a lot of stomachs to feed. So you can imagine how things get crowded on the hill and in Ackerman and also in lecture halls too. Um, so the announcement comes as UCLA as sort of also starting to invest in what it's called a summer intensive program, um, which the idea there is to increase the number of online classes, um, greater support for academic advising and tutoring initiatives, and also, you know, cram year-long courses into 10 weeks. Um, the idea here is to increase graduation rates, three-year graduation rates and four-year graduation rates, to sort of make sure that people aren't sort of lingering here at the university for too long. So just to get things started off, I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on what do you think about lowering of the enrollment rate? Good, bad, maybe, not so much? Wrong question? I feel like they could have planned out the enrollment throughout the years much better than they did. Well, I, as a student, I do think that student population means better attention, resources, space, even dining hall seats for everyone. Yeah. And I guess in terms of enrollment rates, one of the challenges has been that the California state legislature has mandated the UC admit 10,000 more students on top of its already large class size in 2016, I believe, um, through, 26, through 2018. So that could be a large reason why there's a lot of big population growth. Um, but it seems interesting that the UC, or at least UCLA, wants to lower its enrollment rates. But still, that would be increasing its undergraduate population 1%. So we're still only going to see more people joining this campus. Um, and I guess in terms of that, like, what are your own experiences with higher enrollment rates? I know it's probably different for everybody else, but figured we'd go around and do that. I mean, I'm a sociology and gender studies student. In gender studies, my class sizes are quite small, as opposed to my social classes, where sometimes there's no room to sit. Um, so I've sort of had an in-between experience. I can't really say if I've had a good or bad time. I'm also a transfer student, so I don't know what it's like on the Hill. What about you, Anming? 
Well, I'm a math major, which is one of the largest major at UCLA. Um, and for me, I I do think when a class is a class size is too big, it's kind of hard, at least for me, to. You you know when when the number is kind of small, it's kind of eventually you start to know people and you just recognize them because you saw each other over and over. But when the number is really large, it's 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 difficult for you to make friends at all. In fact, because it is not gonna make any difference for you. You're not gonna see the same people again and again. So I I guess shrinking the population size in general and lowering enrollment rate is definitely um. I I guess in that sense is probably might be beneficial and also, you know I I do think when we don't have enough funding or resources for that to support that man that kind of population is probably better to lower it so that everyone can has better resources. So one thing that sort of come up in this enrollment rates discussion is that the state government likes to give. Additional money contingent upon the UC admitting additional California residents. In the past, the state government would give maybe like one hundred fifty million dollars if the UC admitted additional students. Um, it, they had this sort of bartering system each time for funding, um, and it sort of introduced a level of uncertainty every year during budget season in May. Um, maybe it's June. I don't know. I don't follow state legislature budgets anymore. I should stop nerding out right now. Um, but. One of the things that a student government leader brought up is that lowering enrollment rates decreases incentives for the state government to give the same amount of funding it gives to the UC or UCLA in this case, since UCLA is one of the flagship universities of the University of California. So I guess in that case, like I guess just given that UCLA should or shouldn't have increased its enrollment rates. I mean, I feel like that's a complicated question to answer.、Um... I feel like, given how we've seen UCLA already lacking so much resources with caps and other things, that sort of it makes sense that they made the decision to enroll more students. And I'd also say that I feel like when students choose to come to UCLA or the UC for that matter, they know they're coming to a public university. They know that their class sizes are going to be bigger. That there's going to be more students on campus. So it's kind of a decision that. It's kind of an outcome that students know they're getting coming into it. What about you, Anning? Um. Well, I I think the state definitely wants support more states students. Um, and I I do think that the the problem is previously on my knowledge of funding is that we don't really rely. I mean, we we do definitely rely on state funding, but that's not enough, or 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 at least it's not optimal. So we we do rely a lot of other source of funding through fundraising events, um, or through admit out of states tuition, raising the tuition money. So so I I guess when when the state can't give university support or or they giving the support that is more basic than optimal, it is really hard to judge whether we follow we simply follow what the states give will makes us better.、Mm-hmm. And I guess. I want to now transition into the, another aspect of this story, which was the whole idea of growing or increasing three-year and four-year graduation rates. That's been sort of a calling card for administrators in general because it's a very appealing thing for them. The longer you stay at a university, the more resources you would theoretically expend. Especially if you're a California resident, you're paying maybe thirteen thousand dollars in tuition, whereas the true cost of tuition is somewhere near. 
um, 13,000 plus an additional maybe 20,000 or so, which is the non-resident supplemental tuition. So that's how much, you know, you're being subsidized. So the longer you stay, the more money the university expends on you. I guess the interesting part here is that UCLA is trying to increase its investment in summer classes. Um, summer classes notoriously have been difficult to get into. You have to sort of kind of hope and pray that you get the summer classes you're looking for sometimes. Um, the costs are also can be a deterrent since they do, I think, cost more than typically tuition um, across uh, like a regular quarter, I believe, um, since also summer classes can also be truncated into five weeks. So like it's like half a quarter. I don't even do anything by week five. How would I even do a summer class? But I'm graduating, so it doesn't matter. Um, I guess just with in your guys' own experience, like, what do you think about the sort of the push for three year graduation? Is that rushing things? And like, what do you think? How do you think like the summer courses fit into that? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't think obtaining a college degree should be something we look at as being an efficient process. I think there's a lot that goes into it, and students shouldn't have to feel that they're confined in this short limited amount of time. I mean, I didn't even know what major I wanted to do until I was a second year applying to transfer. Um, so I feel like putting that pressure on students is only going to further harm their educational experience. And I've taken summer courses. I did it every summer of my college career, and it is awful. <laughs> it is a condensed amount of time where you're supposed to learn so much information and you honestly don't even remember it after like you don't remember what you've learned the second after you've taken a test um it's intense and it's honestly kind of pointless the only reason that you should ever take a summer course is if there's a certain like requirement that you need to fulfill under a time constraint there's absolutely no value in it other than that um i had to do it because i'm a transfer student and i'm double majoring i was recommended to do that so that i wouldn't overstay my time at ucla and it was not pleasurable it was expensive i don't remember what i learned i didn't do as well in those classes as i could have if i took them over a quarter um and yeah no one in those classes is happy you know you're just, like everyone is there because they need to be there there's nothing to be enjoyed I don't recommend it. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of my computer science classes during the school year. Not memorable. I don't remember anything after the test. Nobody wants to be there. Sometimes not even the professor. And it's just miserable. Yeah, my professors don't even teach it. It's the TAs that are there. So. Darn, they must be more miserable than you. Yeah, they probably are. What about you, Enming? Well, first, regard to three years graduation, I... I don't think that's an idea, a good idea because um, I, I think it's really important for you to build on things. For example, when you join the club, you, you need time to kind of make more friends, to know more professors, have a chance to do research. It, it doesn't come in a second. You need you need build the relationship step by step. For, for example, even, even if you want to go to graduate school or if you want to find a job, right, it's really important for you to have research experience for example for graduate school you need like three letters of recommendations and that means you need at least to do like two kind of research to get at least two kind of letters of recommendation and that's that can happen over at night it can happen it, it takes time and years and similar with with job it, you, you need multiple internships to be competitive and you just as a student i mean we're, we're a pretty competitive school culture you you just can't 
do like three internships, taking three classes, four classes, the same college, just impossible. So, regard to that, and I do think students shouldn't be rushed, and and also I think it's always good a good idea to, you know, even if you kind of can finish your major in three years, I don't see any problem by taking other courses because. To learn something like, for example, mathematics or accounting or um political science history is is really hard to learn by yourself. And you know, college environment, I think that's the best place you want to be. And regard to the summer, um, I I think definitely there's a rushing because it's only six weeks. Um, and also the cost of housing is also a big concern for students. Um. Personally, I do think summer. For me, if I stay at home for the summers, I'm really being unproductive. So I do want to take the chance in the summer to kind of do something useful. I I could say an online course can be more beneficial if I don't want to waste my summer, and it might be um cheaper for the cost. Um, but at the same time, I do, I do think that you shouldn't implement summer courses for the case of. Rushing students to graduate, especially when you're we're already in a quarter system where things are really fast. At least something I've been thinking about is if it's even possible to truncate some majors into three years.、Um, I'm a computer science major. I did the the numbers. I came in with like I had like some five, six, or seven math classes to take, and I already came in with five of them done because weird high school. But even with that, and with maybe like. Six quarters where I either took a class that wasn't related to my major, or only took three three classes that quarter.、Um, like I would, it would have still taken me like three years and two quarters, or three years and one quarter to graduate, right? So if I was going to take summer classes, maybe I could have like expedited things. But like in summer classes, you don't typically take three courses. So in that case, like it still would have probably taken me three and a half years to graduate. I think you bring up a good point about the accessibility of summer courses, and I guess that's maybe where the online appeal comes in. Like this is something that regents, UC regents, who are the decision makers of the university, have talked about in terms of like, you know, since brick and mortar institutions have a carrying capacity, online courses necessarily don't. Like, is why don't we pursue that? And it's something that master students already do, at least in the computer science department. I've been in a bunch of other departments too. So I guess this is maybe just like the modernization of the UC. Which seems kind of odd because when it was created back in like eighteen sixty eight, it was you know tasked with being this like place where you could do pie in the sky research about fancy schmancy stuff about shoelaces, which Berkeley did back in the day, twenty seventeen back in the day. I'm old, and like, is that all going to be challenged with this new push for faster graduation rates? I don't know. I guess the final question I want to ask: Let's say you had another year, which I guess I mean you you do. Ani and I are out of here. We're Turning into dust, would you take one of those summer online courses? And if so, are you willing to sacrifice ten weeks of your summer to learn a year's worth of content? Hell no! I took summer classes every year of my college education. I don't know what summer vacation is. I would like to. If I had another year of time, especially as a transfer student, it would honestly be so much. It would be really helpful if I had that, like. Wiggle room to play around with. Well, I, I would definitely take summer courses online. I think that's a good option, but but not in the context when I have to take 
ten weeks for a year. I would I would like to take ten weeks for ten weeks, <laughs> or or even less. For example, eight weeks for eight weeks. And and also I do think, I I do think it's probably a better idea to take some course that is more, I got I got skill related for for example like Excel, Microsoft, or or those kind of more, I guess useful but not not traditional kind of courses where. It can be better fit in short amount of time, and it can help students to accelerate career wise. So I guess the consensus is that we're all giving these summer intensive courses a big fat D minus. UCLA better reconsider them. We'll be back from the break with a totally different topic: Dream Block. <laughs> Have you ever known what it feels like to be gene blocked? Well, the Daily Brunette editorial board did earlier this week, and let's just say it wasn't so pleasant.、Um, bad pun aside, we are talking about stonewalling and administrative transparency for this one. Doesn't sound like a fun topic, right? Well, it's a really, really fun one because it includes our favorite, our wonderful, and our wondrous Daddy Gene, who is conveniently not here. Just by multiple requests, for, I'm joking. Now he didn't. We didn't actually call him from the No Offense Crew. But what we're here to talk about is this general administrative transparency, and it sort of pegged to something that's happened internal at the Daily Bruin. So Chancellor Block and the Daily Bruin editorial board have a quarterly tradition of meeting for an hour, somewhere near the end of the quarter, to just basically do an interview, talk about important campus issues. This includes everything from sexual assault and sexual harassment culture in Greek life. To over enrollment, to UCLA blasting away parking spaces at Anderson. Funny story: Chancellor Block didn't know that parking was a problem at UCLA back in 2017 or 2016. Yeah, I'm old. I don't remember anymore. But this time, you know, the meeting was set to be Friday of Week Ten, a day after I'm technically off the job. But you know, whatever. I guess extensions are nice here and there. And then he mysteriously canceled, saying he had other. Concerns or events or something, and I'm still wondering which mega donor he's schmoozing up to right now to get that together, and that sort of started a conversation about just generally how do you how in tune do you feel with your administrators? Like,、um, let's go around and start naming a couple people. I'm going to do a tiny quiz here.、Um, which of you can name the vice chancellor of student affairs? Anybody? Anybody? Vice chancellor of student affairs? It starts with an M. Ends with an Monroe Gordon. Okay, Monroe Gordon. We're zero for one. Next one, Vice Chancellor of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. Jerry Kong. Okay, we are one for two. Next one, Administrative Vice Chancellor. Okay, this one's Michael Beck. That's a、uh, that's a、uh, um, one for three, or I guess one for four, because even I don't know what I'm doing. Anyway, long story short, nobody knows these administrators. And these administrators don't know us, and yet they're the ones who make the decisions for the university. So I want to kick it to a fun conversation. How would you like to interface with your chancellors and vice chancellors? Would you prefer a that these chancellors and vice chancellors make fun videos every quarter, or at least regularly throughout the quarter, to interface with students? B that they engage on bird scooters with all of us, and they have PSAs about you know. Safety and whatnot. That idea may or may not have been proposed by a fellow editorial board member whose name rhymes with Briscusco. And、uh, 
C, would you want something else? In which case you must propose an option. Let's start with you, Ani. C, I'd like for them to have the basic decency to speak with a daily brew in once a quarter. Damn, that's that's a good response. What about you, Enming? Um, I I don't think A and B are possible. I I just don't think they can ever happen ever. Um, so I guess I will pick C. Well, honestly, I think um, just be more interactive with students is is cool. You know, I I do feel like. I mean, I I know I'm busy. I know everyone's busy, but I do think it will be great if there's more interaction where students can have conversation with them. I actually wrote a column back in summer of twenty sixteen, June twenty sixteen, one of my first ever columns as an assistant opinion editor. I know this is podcast is just a freaking age trip this entire time about how old and gray haired I am. I don't have gray hair actually. I don't know. I haven't looked in the mirror today, but um. It was about how, you know, vice chancellors and vice provosts should hold office hours because Chancellor Block holds that coveted one hour office hour each quarter as if anybody of consequence signs up for that or knows how to sign up for that. Like these are just like hyperactive student, hyper engaged student leaders like just taking part in this. And I don't know, maybe my regret is not ever applying for this, but I I always knew I was going to get roasted or not given that position because I do kind of write columns about the administrators but still like you know having the chance to talk to these vice chancellors and whatnot i once thought that was a solution but now i think more and more that like they should at least hold like a quarterly town hall right like people can ask some general questions maybe submit questions beforehand like we can see like what kind of ties chancellor block wears three times a year like i don't know like it seems kind of odd like i saw my school principal in high school even though i barely knew him i don't even remember his name now but that's not the point. Like, you still kind of saw them. He still visited classrooms and stuff. What is Chancellor Block doing? Like, Murphy Hall isn't even that nice a building. It just, I don't know, like, staring at trees. Like, his office is really empty. He has some nice books. Doesn't look like those books have ever been pulled off the shelf the couple times I went. It's fine. I can say these things. I'm graduating, right? Um. Anyway, final thoughts on administrative transparency? Um. Yeah. First of all, um, if they're not having meeting with the editorial board of Daily Bruin, I mean, I I wonder. First of all, do they actually read the Daily Bruin? And if they don't read the Daily Bruin, how do they possibly ever know what's happening among students? <laughs> I guess that's my um first concern. And 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 I think secondly, um, they you know we we are a university a system you know it's like a micro system or, or how do you call it but the basic idea is they are kind of really higher up management position and it, it's really easy for them to kind of feel comfortable I'm, I'm not speaking specific to them i'm speaking in general like to feel comfortable and enjoy a lot of things enjoy the sunshine of california but at the same time i think there is greater responsibilities as well yeah do you want to address the first concern, Ani? The whether they read the Daily Bruin? Yeah, that one. Well, according to media relations and the few times we've met with admin, they do read the Daily Bruin. And they've been displeased with a couple <laughs> things that we've covered. Um, which is interesting, considering that for all of those things, we've asked for them to comment. Um, they claim that we haven't really... We didn't um, accurately portray them the administration but we've asked for them to comment all of those times and 
getting them to respond is way more difficult than it should be. Sometimes they refuse to respond. I believe you had three stone walls this year. Um, and I've had a number of columnists try to reach out to them and have difficulty again. I've had media relations be awful at coordinating getting a response from them. So there's just been a lack of transparency from them throughout this entire year, which has been ridiculous. If you're disappointed in our coverage, then give us access to what you have to say on the matter. Don't just complain about it. I mean, we do our due diligence, we do our reporting, um, and we want to get their side, and they just make it way too difficult. Or they just sometimes call us fake news to my face, but it's okay. As they, as the penguin said in Madagascar, just smile and wave, boys. Smile and wave. Speaking of smiling and waving, this is, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I know, that was a very suave transition. Um, this is my final podcast for Daily Bruin, I think. Or so I think, you know, the, the world's uncertain, and hopefully I pass my finals, but I'm expecting that I will. This will be my last No Offense podcast for a very, very long time. So I just wanted to say shout out to all the listeners out there, all the real troopers, all the real SoundCloud subscribers, the six of you who did back in the golden, back in the dark days when we didn't promote these things on social media, when they got, you know, posted like three weeks late, like you guys really had faith in us. And I am just blowing off steam right now. I don't know what I'm doing. It's 10 p.m., 10.40 p.m. right now on a Wednesday night. I shouldn't be in this office right now, but I'm six hours too late in this building. Kirkhoff does that to you. But anyway, it's been a wonderful ride as opinion editor and as the de facto podcast editor. It was wonderful being able to just word vomit into a mic because at least they don't do word count checks there. Um, but, you know, it's a fun venture. No offense started off by my predecessors, both um, Liberty Feliciano, who was an assistant opinion editor in 2015-2016, and Chris Campbell, who was radio director in 2015-2016 and opinion editor 2016-2017, and he also hired me. I'm glad he hired me. It was a fun job, and he was great. And we tried continuing his legacy. It was great. I wasn't half the radio host he was, and I stutter a lot, and I think I still do stutter, but you won't hear much of that because I edited out Audacity's great. And yeah, No Offense is a wild ride. This farm style podcast is great. I finally convinced Ani after like six months of arguing with her that she should come on the show and she came on the show. And yeah, just grateful for all our wonderful listeners. Any final words, Ani? You should also thank our reviewer. That's a really quality review. So thank you for that. And yeah, this is my first and last podcast. So it's been nice. Good time. And I guess with that, just want to say thank you for not gene blocking us. Thank you for subscribing to Daily Bruin Podcast. And thank you for listening. As a reminder, just remember, all podcasts can be listened to and subscribed to on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, SoundCloud, and dailybruin.com slash category slash podcasts. Stay classy, friends. Catch you all later. Thank you.